You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12s. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks, teaming up with my colleague Rob Rang. We're fired up to enter draft season with a weekly segment looking at specific players mocked to the Seahawks, courtesy of the Draft Network. It's part of a loaded Monday show, so let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. Just two years ago, the Seahawks made a surprising move releasing cornerback Richard Sherman, paving the way for Shaquille Griffin to take over as the starting left cornerback for Seattle. The rationale? Sherman was going to be 30 years old, coming off a torn Achilles tendon, and was due over $11 million in 2018. There were concerns about him returning to form. It was viewed as a risk. But, Rob, th- this move is ultimately... Obviously, Sherman's played really darn well in San Francisco, but... After a rough first season as a starter in his place, Griffin really figured things out in 2019, and that's why he's now heading to the Pro Bowl. Yeah, it's a it's a heck of an accomplishment for Shaquille Griffin, just considering the fact that, uh, or Shaquille Griffin, just because of the you know the fact that he did struggle a little bit, as you mentioned, in his kind of sophomore season. I thought he played very well as a. Uh, in his first year after Seattle selected him, I'm a very different player. He's a much more athletic guy. Don't tell Richard Sherman I said that. He's, you know, that's one of the things that makes him such an elite player is that he is so highly competitive. But with Shaquille Griffin, we're talking about a guy who has elite straight line speed. Doesn't have quite the, the height and length, uh, you know, that Richard Sherman has. So it was a little bit of a departure of what Seattle had had gone with in the past, but. Uh, you know, in, in terms of just the fluidity, the, the, the straight line speed, um, and, and yet still having the same toughness, the, the grit, the reliable open field tackling ability, um, I, I think that, that that Griffin really has emerged as one of the bright young stars on Seattle's defense. And so, I think that this is a is you know a, a testament to his um, ability to kind of come back after, what you, as you mentioned, it was a little bit of a disappointing uh, second year in Seattle. And, and so, I I'm eager to see what he can do moving forward. Looking at his stats for the season, 13 passes defensed, which ranked among league leaders. Quarterback rating against him was 97. That number went up the last few weeks. He was dealing with a hamstring injury, so I don't think that really represents how he played this year. It was a little better than his 2018 passer rating against him, but big strides with just 44 completions given up. Griffin also had a couple interceptions this year that were overturned by stupid penalties. There was one in the first 49ers game that they called a pretty cheap defensive holding call on Jamar Taylor that took away an f- interception for Griffin. So he did end the year with zero picks, but I don't think that represents how well he played the football this year. He had a couple really sensational plays in coverage. One that jumped out that same San Francisco game. To me, maybe the play of the game in overtime making up a ton of ground and coverage, swatting away a deep ball down the right sideline, forcing the 49ers to punt. He also had a play against the Bengals in the season opener against John Ross. We know how fast he is running vertical routes, and Griffin was able to keep up with him and swat a pass away. That one did not count because there was a penalty on the Bengals on that play, but still, it was a sensational play. It showed how much he has improved in coverage, and a lot of it, I think, Rob, has to do with what he did in the offseason. He's talked about this countless times, but he got his weight back down to 194, made some changes to his diet, and more emphasis watching film this offseason, especially looking back at the Legion of Boom in 2013, peak Legion of Boom during their Super Bowl season. 
Yeah, you know, and you, you mentioned with the loss of weight. I mean, that was one of the things I, I was surprised by. In the second season, he was up to like 210 pounds, you know, and that, that's a that's a big corner, and that's that's not a guy that, uh, you know, Griffin, I thought, carried that weight quite as well. I mean, he just looked so much quicker th- this past year, and, and I think you hit the nail on the head, Corbin. I mean, there was just – he didn't have the, the takeaways, and obviously for a defense like Seattle that really struggled with a lack of takeaways this year, then that is going to loom large for a lot of people. But just he, – he's such a dynamic athlete. Um, I mean, he has the, the, the true cover corner agility and straight line speed that you're looking for. And so to me, that was one of the most exciting things about him. But again, when it comes down to the ball skills, that is one of the things that was that is significantly different between Griffin and uh, what Richard Sherman offered the Seahawks. I mean, as a guy who was a, a former wide receiver at Stanford, that was one of the, the, the things that Sherman was always so exceptional at. Um, Griffin is still kind of working his way up in that regard. But in terms of just ad- agility, uh, cover skills, uh, I think that Griffin is among the elite in all of the NFC, and it's being proven out here with the, his selection to the Pro Bowl. Making the leap that he did this year, he is certainly in a position now entering the final year of his rookie contract. There was a lot of debate going into the 2019 season whether or not Griffin would last beyond his fourth season in Seattle. But I think with the way he performed this past season, especially considering the rest of the corner depth Seattle has, he's still just 24 years old, a very young player, has a lot of room left to develop. If those ball skills develop, this is a guy that could get four or five interceptions a season, and you know that he's going to have the athleticism to compete with any of the top receivers in the sport. I think he's positioned himself well to start negotiating for an extension. I would actually be really surprised. Obviously, this could be a Jaron Reed type situation where if he doesn't have a great 2020 season, then maybe the Seahawks re-explore what they're going to do in the future. But I would certainly be surprised if he is not playing for the Seahawks in 2021 and beyond. I look at him as a player that is going to last at least two contracts in Seattle. I think Pete Carroll's really excited about the progress that he's made back there. And now they got to hope that Trey Flowers can make a similar leap in his third season. And then they'll have two very good young corners that they can build around for the future. Maybe give them a little bit of competition drafting somebody this year to add to the cornerback stable. But certainly Griffin's development is an encouraging one for Seattle's secondary. Coming up next in the second quarter, we're going to tackle your mailbag questions in our Monday mailbag segment. You won't want to miss it. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Before we move forward, let's talk about sex. Good sex. Remember the days when you were always ready to go and you could increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed? Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Now, this isn't just for guys who can't perform, it's for any guy who wants extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code Locked On. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code Locked On to try for free. 
Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, along with Rob Rang. Coming up later in the show, our first Mock Draft Monday segment, looking at this week's selection for the Seahawks, courtesy of the Draft Network. Moving into the second quarter of today's podcast, as we do every Monday, it's time for our listener mailbag. We're going to tackle as many of your questions as we can. First one coming from Wampet Gaming. Rob, this one's for you. What do you think the chance is that the Seahawks will make a trade this offseason? And then an asterisk, obviously the draft is 100%. I'm assuming this is asking chances they'll make a trade for an existing player already on another roster. We've seen the Seahawks do that a lot in recent seasons. We, we have, and so I think that there's certainly a possibility of that. I think that John Schneider is absolutely going to have his trader cap on this week in Mobile, Alabama for the Senior Bowl. I mean, that's where a lot of those initial conversations begin. Uh, you know, I, I think that there is a good chance of that. Uh, I think that the Seattle again is going to have to be pretty creative. I think it's pretty obvious where where the Seahawks' uh, biggest areas of concern are. Obviously, need to have you need to to improve your pass rushers. Um, you know, and this is not a terrific draft class for pass rushers. Um, and, and so, therefore, I think Seattle is going to have to very much uh, try and exhaust all opportunities they possibly can can use, um, you know, in, in terms of veterans and whether that be a trade or whether that be in free agency. Um, so I think that that's something they, they very much keep an eye on. And as the, um, you know, as, as the, the, the person who asked the question mentioned, I, I think when it comes to the draft, and, and that's obvious, you know, certainly um, with, with Seattle's track record and, and the fact that there is good depth um, at some of the other key positions that Seattle may be needing some um, you know, some help along the offensive line, a tight end, a cornerback, as we talked about in the first quarter. Uh, I think that's something that Seattle is going to look to do. Second question coming from Chuck Warner tweets, did Seattle trade Frank Clark for draft picks and use that first on LJ Collier, who was a third round projection? If so, knowing everything we now know, how weak the Seahawks pass rush was, would Seattle rather have just paid Frank Clark big money. Well, it's easy, Chuck, to look back at this situation and wonder if the Seahawks made a mistake there. I actually posted an article about this a few days ago uh, before the Chiefs played the Titans in the AFC title game, and there was a lot of discussion about this. Frank Clark still playing, and the Seahawks aren't. Obviously, he's been an impact player for them. Eight sacks in the regular season. He got off to a kind of a slow start, but he's been playing great football as of late. Four sacks and two playoff games, too. So he's really shown up in the postseason. That being said, Seattle made that move in part because they had just four draft picks they needed to add additional draft capital to restock the roster. And while this move wasn't directly impacted by the trade of Frank Clark, they were able to move with their native first-round pick, the number 21 overall selection. They were able to trade back three times to amass extra picks, and eventually they traded back up to get DK Metcalf. So in large part, you were able to pull off that sequence of moves needed to be able to have the firepower to move up and get DK Metcalf there, and that's a guy with all-pro potential at wide receiver if he continues to develop had 900 receiving yards as a rookie, exceeded expectations, still just 22 years old. They have a couple other really promising young players that they picked in this draft class that they probably wouldn't have been able to get if not for John Schneider adding 
that extra first round pick that gave them the flexibility to be able to trade down three times and they could still get a defensive end in the first round. Now, jury's still out if Collier is going to turn things around. It was a really rough rookie season, but I think it's way too early to know who the winner of this trade is, especially considering the Seahawks still have a second round pick, the number 64 overall pick in April's upcoming draft that is coming from Kansas City. So they still have a chance to add another impact player as part of this deal. Third question, Largent's a legend tweets, what do you think is the upside for Quentin Jefferson next year? What do you think the contract is the Seahawks would need to give him to keep him? First off, I just like the Twitter handle, Largent's a legend. I mean, but, uh, you know, Quentin Jefferson, it's kind of funny. Uh, You know, a a buddy of mine, uh, me in scouting, has always kind of said that that he is – uh, he, he's more of a scout than he is a bean counter. And so asking me to kind of project the numbers that Quentin Jefferson uh, might be able to receive from the Seahawks is, is not really my forte. Um, I think that he's a guy that is in that 7 to $8 million range um, as, as a guy that, uh, you know, because he does have some pass rush ability, because he does have some positional versatility, um, that he is going to be able to fit on just about every different NFL team. 4-3, 3-4, we all know there's very few teams who run strictly those anymore. There's so much hybrid and, and you know, defensive schemes by teams around the league. And Quentin Jefferson fits in perfectly with that. But at the same time, he has struggled a little bit with durability, with consistency throughout his career. So that's why I don't think that he is going to be one of those 10 million kind of a guys, even though he has shown that type of, of, of potential. Yeah, I look at him as a guy for four to five million a year because he's not going to be a player that's going to get you nine or ten sacks. You might get three or four out of him, and he's going to give you an interior pass rushing presence. He can play multiple spots along the defensive line. There's value there. I've talked about this a few times, though. I think he's a player that's probably more valuable to the Seahawks than a lot of other teams because of where he fits into their scheme. And you mentioned the durability issue. I think that will be something that is going to be impacting how much he gets on the market, especially since he's just had foot surgery, too. So the injury issues continue to be something to watch. Charles Bronson tweets, if you switched Mahomes and Wilson with current rosters, what's each team's record this last season? Well, Charles, I really don't think it's that different. The the one thing that I have down in my notes that certainly would impact things, if we're going off this past season, Mahomes did miss a little bit of time with a dislocated kneecap. So, if that would have been the case and he was playing in Seattle, I have Seattle down as a 10-6 and six football team because they only had a couple games that they wouldn't have had him. And certainly, it would have had a hard time winning those games. But I think Seattle, 9 wins or 10 wins. I don't think it would have impacted their overall record that much. And as for Kansas City, with Wilson being available all 16 games, I have their record being slightly better just because of the health standpoint. 13-3, and the Chiefs going. I really don't think it moves the needle that much if you switch the two guys. It's a much different question if you take Russell Wilson or Mahomes off the roster completely and you put a mid-level starting quarterback in their place. That would dramatically alter the record. But in this case, you're just switching two of the best quarterbacks in football. I think the records would be very similar. Ross Wildering tweets rob favorite non-seahawk free agent in this 2020 class wow well right now the way he's playing i mean it'd be hard enough to mention derrick henry um but but at the same time just because we are talking about you know obviously a seahawks podcast i'm going to mention a guy who i think fits in beautifully with seattle scheme corbin you and i talked about this guy when we you know we talked months ago about possible 
uh, players that Seattle might be targeting if they're looking to do a trade. And that would be Yannick Ngakwe, the, the defensive end um, from Jacksonville. I mean, he's 6'3", 250 pounds. He is exactly what uh, Pete Carroll has preferred at that Leo defensive end role. If you are somehow able to keep, uh, you know, Jadavion Clowney, Jaron Reed, and then, uh, you know, really kind of uh, double down and, and get a Yannick Ngakwe, then I think suddenly – then you are competing with the San Francisco 49ers to have the most fearsome front in the NFL, and that apparently is what gets it done uh, when it comes to the, the you know the, the deep playoff runs. You mentioned Ngakwe. I'm going to go Chris Jones. I would love to see. How ironic would it be with Seattle trading Frank Clark to the Chiefs? At some point, the Chiefs are going to have to let a few really good players go because they've got to pay Mahomes soon. I could see Chris Jones being one of those guys that – demands enough money with them already having Frank Clark under contract for the next four years that he ends up hitting the market. You're talking about a guy that's an absolute monster in the middle, can also play defensive end. He's got a bunch of sacks the last two years, so he would certainly, I I would be intrigued to see him and Clowney on the same defense. If they can keep Reed, then so be it. But Chris Jones or Ngakwe, both those guys, probably pipe dreams seeing them in a Seahawks uniform if Clowney is also re-signed. If he's not, there's going to be a ton of money to play with, and Seattle could certainly be aggressive in March. Tom Coons tweets, Isn't the Super Bowl matchup an exact illustration of the way we want Pete Carroll to let Russ cook? And the way Pete will always coach by pounding the ball, in this case, San Francisco, it, it is going to be a contrasting battle between two teams with much different offensive styles. The 49ers can ground and pound you. And I just, I'm amazed how creative Kyle Shanahan is with the run game and how he uses Kyle Juszczyk as fullback. There was one play in particular yesterday where Juszczyk sold the counter for a couple steps as a blocker and then ended up shooting outside wide right and was out as a lead blocker. It's just those kind of plays that make San Francisco's run game so much fun to watch. And obviously on the flip side, even Kansas City ran the ball more than usual against the Titans yesterday, and I think they had to against a pretty good Tennessee defense, give some balance, and then they ended up throwing the football over the yard with Patrick Mahomes in the second half and built a lead that the Titans just simply didn't have the firepower to come back and get. I just think it's proof that you can win games and get to the Super Bowl with multiple styles. The 49ers are not going to air it out 50 times a game. That's not their style. Kansas City, they love to have Patrick Mahomes throw it 40 to 50 times because that's the way their offense is catered. You can win in multiple ways. It's going to be an exciting matchup, and we'll get to see which one comes out on top, the more run-centric offense of San Francisco or the air-it-out, fire-it-around, all-over-the-place Kansas City offense. Mike Sent tweets, Rob, do you think the organization believes in Ethan Posick enough to give him another opportunity to start at center? Well, I think they give, you know, possibly. Uh, at the same time, I think Justin Britt and Joey Hunt both have something to say about that. I mean, Ethan Posick is a, is a quality player. Um, I, I think that they love his size. They love his uh, his positional versatility. We talked about that before with Quentin Jefferson. But you know, at, at the same time, I think that Justin Britt and Joey Hunter both proved to be better. Um, you know, and, and so I, I think that, that that's it with, with Posicki. He's somebody that is in the mix. But as far as banking on him as being your starter, if they were to decide to cut bait with Britt. Uh, and decide to uh, you know perhaps go elsewhere with, with Joey Hunt, who's a restricted free agent. We, we've seen that, that Joey Hunt is a limited player, but, um, just because of his, his size limitations. But at the same time, he play, he showed the grit, the toughness, the dependability that that frankly Ethan Post has not yet shown. Um, and, and this is again a terrific 
uh, center class at, at you know in, in terms of the 2020 NFL draft. So I, I think the Postic is in the mix, but I don't think that Seattle is going to basically uh, be hedging their bet. I think they're going to be hedging their bets if they have to rely on Ethan Postic. Coming up after the break, we're going to initiate our weekly mock draft Monday with the Seahawks adding some defensive line help in round one, courtesy of the Draft Network. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back. Glad to have you joining us here on Locked On Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, joined by Rob Rang. It may seem crazy in mid-January to start diving into the draft, but the combine is a month away, roughly. Then you got your pro days. It'll be April 23rd before you know it. So to kickstart the festivities, we're teaming up with the Draft Network, who produces a new mock every week, and breaking down their first-round selection to the Seahawks at number 27 overall. This week to kickstart our Mock Monday segments, Seattle bolsters its interior defensive line by selecting Javon Kinlaw, defensive tackle out of South Carolina. Rob, this is a player that I've gotten to watch quite a bit. I didn't get to watch a ton of college football this year, but he is certainly an exciting player with a lot of raw potential entering this draft. Yeah, uh, I mean, if. For everybody who was enamored with the potential that Malik McDowell presented to Seahawks, 6'6", 300 pounds, can run a sub four five or a sub five point oh forty yard dash, uh, you know, just has the the incredible athletic potential, then they're going to see a very similar talent in, in Javon Kinlaw. I mean, this is a guy who just has freakish athletic ability. He is incredibly raw. Um, you know, Malik McDowell, there were all the concerns about off the field. You don't have those same concerns about off the field with Kinlaw. You have them about just how Rob a player that he is. And he just spends way too much time on the ground for a guy who's as gifted as he is. But at the same time, in terms of just raw talent, um, in terms of being a penetrator, um, you, you mentioned before, Corbin, that, that Chris Jones, the Kansas City Chiefs, might be the free agent that you uh, would most like to see for the Seahawks or are most intrigued by. Chris Jones and, and Malik McGow are the only two players who I see when I see this kid, Javon Kimba. I, I see the upside of a Chris Jones, a pro bowler who could be a 10-plus sack guy, be able to play inside and outside. I also see the downside, um, the gamble factor. And we all know that John Schneider and Pete Carroll love to roll the dice on draft day. So kudos to the draft network. I think that this is exactly the type of player that number 27 overall, if he is on the board, then the Seattle would be willing to consider throwing the dice on him. Rob, making all of our listeners want to jump off a cliff by mentioning Malik McDowell as his first comparison for him. But from a physical standpoint, that is exactly what we're discussing here. A tall long-armed, athletic defensive tackle. This is a player that did add significant muscle to his frame between his junior and senior season so he could better withstand playing in the trenches, and I can see that some on the film. He's always had elite burst for a 310-pound defensive tackle. The quickness, the ability to really split gaps. He is a true 4-3, 3-tech defensive tackle, a one-gap splitting machine. I think that the capabilities there for him to be a strong pass rusher, he did have six sacks this year. I never felt like he really reached his potential as a pass rusher. You would see glimpses there 
Two games that I watched as a senior showed notable progression as a hand fighter. That was something on his junior film I was not impressed with at all. That was really a struggle for him technically using his hands. Still a lot of room to grow there. The athleticism, you can see it flying to the ball, pursuing. There's no question about issues with efforts or his motor. This kid plays hard every down. The big issue that I have, you mentioned the the rawness and, and being on the ground a lot. Uh, my biggest issue watching film, and this is just his entire career, I'm not a big fan of his football awareness. I see a player that gets exploited regularly on draws, screens, misdirection. Sometimes his aggressiveness gets the best of him. He doesn't always have the best sense where the football is at either. And another thing that really jumps out, you mentioned the height, six foot six. When you're a taller player like that, Seattle's got another defensive tackle in Puna Ford that doesn't necessarily have to worry about this. He's already 5'10", so he doesn't have to worry about leverage issues. But it's a problem at times for Javon Kinlaw, who can stand upright too much, and that allows the offensive lineman to win off the snap at the point of attack. That lack of leverage really hurts him at his height. Oh, it really does. I mean, this is a much better athlete than a football player at this point. Um, as, as you mentioned, Corbin, I mean, he, he plays with blinders at times. I mean, he just doesn't locate the football very well. He is reliant on his initial burst, um, you know, to, to be able to penetrate. Uh, he is not as strong as you would think. Six six, three 310 pounds. I and mean, there's times that he gets put on his back. Um, and, and so that's a concern. Um, at, at that size, you'd like him to be able to play that, that, that five technique, kind of an almost defensive end role, the way the Seahawks used to use Big Red Bryant and um, you know some of the other uh, really big defensive linemen that the Seahawks have used over the years. And he is not there yet. Uh, but at the same time, that is one thing that I know for a fact. The Seahawks are very, very high uh, on Clint Hurt. They, they, they felt that um, you know they, they can develop defensive linemen, and guys like Jaron Reed are a pretty good example of how they've been able, to, how he has been able to do that. And considering um, the spectacular season that he had two years ago, obviously come out the suspension this past year, some are. Uh, you know, are kind of knocking his lack of progress. But I thought this was just kind of a snake bitten year for for that young man. But w- when you have the raw talent that Javon Kinlaw has, then then I think that he would be one of those players the Seahawks again would would would, would be very excited about. And again, I understand why there's so many people out there who you know just gash their teeth when they think about Malik McDowell. But it, the while his NFL career obviously did not pan out the way that the Seahawks had hoped. Um, at the same time, there was no question that he was the elite talent on the board when the Seahawks made their selection. He was well worth the gamble at that point. It didn't pan out. Uh, but there, I mean, this, we're talking about one of the top 10 most gifted players in his relative draft class. Um, and, and again, I, I think that, uh, that, that Seattle and most other teams would have taken him at that point just because of the talent that he offered. Yeah, it's one of those things where the Seahawks, there's things you can learn by the McDowell draft pick as far as looking at red flags and character concerns. And you mentioned this, I'm glad you did. We don't have those same issues with Kinlaw. This is not the same attitude, the same character off the field as Malik McDowell. So I don't think the Seahawks would have to second guess themselves looking at this from that perspective. You're getting a similar style player that's raw, has has a lot of athleticism, could end up being a 10 plus sack guy in the NFL. He's got that kind of ability. And you mentioned him getting overpowered at times. It's crazy how inconsistent he is because I've also seen times where you see flashes where he bullies the guy across from you. You just don't know what you're going to get. And to me, a lot of 
of it has to do with inconsistent technique. And that's where Clint Hurt comes in. To me, this would be a great fit for the Seahawks, not only because it fills a clear need. They're going to need somebody to fill in for Jaron Reed if they let him go. And, and I've talked about this. I think there's a better chance that he's going somewhere else than coming back to Seattle. If Clowney doesn't get re-signed, then maybe that changes things. But they're going to need somebody that can fill that three-tech void in their 4-3 defense. And I think this kid, working with Clint Hurt, who has shown he can develop defensive tackles and defensive ends extremely well since he arrived in Seattle. He's done a great job. I think that this would be a perfect fit for all parties involved. Get this kid out there, work on the technique. He's he's like a, a ball of Play-Doh, and you could turn him into a Pro Bowl or even an All-Pro caliber player with the right coaching and emphasis on technique. So as far as a grade standpoint, if the Seahawks ended up with him at number 27, I have him going in the top 20 picks. So I would be kind of surprised if he's still there at 27. But as you mentioned, the rawness factor, maybe that ends up leading to him falling to the end of the first round. And some Seahawks fans may be like, ooh, we picked Penny and Collier the last two years. I don't know if I want a raw guy at the end of the first round again. But this guy has big-time talent. And if he falls to 27, he has got to be strongly considered to pick there. No, I think he does. And that's one of the things where I've been a little bit surprised uh, by the Seahawks over the last couple of years. It's, it's very clear that they have, uh, you know, they want to find players who have overcome some things early in their lives and have just kind of uh, proven their resiliency. I think that's one of the things that we can take away um, from the, the mistake, if we want to call a mistake, um, that was the Malik McDowell situation, is, is that. The, the, the players who have wound up being successful in the Seahawks, almost all of them have wound up having some type of personal challenge they've had to overcome that really just makes football pale in comparison to real life. And that's one of the things that Javon Kinlaw has. And this is a young man that, you know, he, he had lots, he had a, a tough upbringing. Um, there, there were times that, that he and his family were homeless, um, you know, and, and so because of that, uh, just that whole idea that, you know, it, it, you know, challenges can can strengthen you. Um, I think that's something that, that the Seahawks will very much consider with Kinlaw is that he does have that resiliency um, that, that they have preferred in their prospects in the past. And again, there is just absolutely no question. Uh, I feel very strongly that anybody who looks up this kid's highlights are going to see the flashes of talent um, that would intrigue Seattle. And why, Corbin, you may very well be right that this is a guy who probably doesn't get himself out of the top 20 picks. I th- I would be surprised. I really would be. I, I think especially when we consider that this is not near as deep of a draft class along the defensive line as last year's group. Maybe that ends up helping somebody like the Seahawks that need defensive line help because there's other positions that are so deep. Maybe there will be a run on receivers, a run on offensive linemen, and positions like that in the first round, and maybe somebody like Kinlaw ends up falling to them, I would just be really surprised. But that's why I would be excited if I'm a Seahawks fan. If he's available at 27, the Seahawks actually stay at 27, which we don't know if that's going to happen based on past history. I expect they're probably going to trade down, but they do have eight selections with the comp picks that they are expected to get. So maybe that changes their logic in the first round. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to subscribe to our show, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever your preferred podcast platform is by going to our website, LockedOnSeahawks.com. Coming up on tomorrow's show, it's all about the Senior Bowl. Rob will dish out some insight from the first day in Mobile, and we'll look back at several Seahawks who played in the Senior Bowl recently during our Throwback Tuesday segment. You won't want to miss it. Hope you'll listen in. Go Hawks!